You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. How are we doing? Good. Happy Pentecost Sunday, as has been said. My name is Blair. I'm one of the pastors here. And today we continue to draw inspiration towards a growing faith in God as we consider the great cloud of witnesses listed in Hebrews 11. Now this cloud of witnesses is this awesome collection of Old Testament people and their stories of faith. You can think of it like an all-star game of the Old Testament heroes. I don't know who their verse is. Actually, their verse is Jesus, and Jesus wins, which means we, we all win. So anyways, that uh, metaphor went quickly. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Um, and so this is what we're going through during the summer months. That's right. I said it's summer. Uh, happy June. I, I'm believing for summertime uh, and enjoying it while we can. Um, so if you've been with us for the past few weeks, we've learned quickly that faith is not wishful thinking. It's not uh, superstition, but that it is a reasonable conviction. Faith is a reasonable conviction. It's the assurance of hope, and it causes us to act according to God's plan as it is worked out in, in our lives and in creation. So this is what we're talking about when we talk about faith. And this morning we're going to see an incredibly practical example of how this works, how faith will change your life. Faith will change your life, it will change your priorities, it will change what we do, why we do it. And so the example that we'll be looking at is from Genesis chapter 6 through 9, the story of Noah. Raise your hand if you've heard of Noah and the Ark. Uh, perhaps the translation that you're most familiar with is the board book translation, uh, because Noah's Ark is in every children's book, for better or for worse. Um, because if you do read uh, Genesis 6 to 9, which I would encourage you to do after this, you'll find that it is a crazy story, um, um, a bit of a devastating story, right? Um, it's violent. It's not made for kids, although we can tell it to our children for sure, but uh, there's a lot going on in the story of, of Noah and the flood. So to give us some of that, I'm just going to read the beginning uh, this morning, which is Genesis 6, 11 to 7, verse 1, which says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, the earth was filled with wickedness. Now God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. Then God said to Noah, I've decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it with pitch inside and outside. This is how you are to make it. The ark will be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. You are to make a roof, finishing the sides of the ark within 18 inches of the roof. You are to put a door in the side of the ark, make it with lower, middle, and upper decks. Understand that I am bringing a flood, floodwaters on the earth, to destroy every creature under heaven with the breath of life in it. Everything will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. You will enter the ark with your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. Up until this point, 
Noah's listening and making note, but he's got to be thinking, well, why is it so big? Will there be a tennis court in it? Perhaps a pool? <laughs> and this is where it gets really interesting. You are also to bring into the ark two of everything, from the birds according to their kinds, from the livestock according to their kinds, and from the animals that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. They'll come with you so you can keep them alive. Okay, that changes everything. So take with you every kind of food that's eaten, gather it as food for you and for them. And Noah did this. He did everything that God commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark, you and your household, for I've seen you alone are righteous before me in this generation. So this is the person and his story that we hear about in Hebrews 11 this morning. As you may know, God does send the flood, does destroy the earth, except for Noah because of his obedience. God saved the animals, and more importantly, humanity along with them. This is the quick version of the story. So having said all this, if you want to turn to Hebrews 11, that's our main verse. Hebrews 11, uh, verse 7, which tells us, By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. I love this picture of Noah's faith. I love it. And there's a lot that can be said, but first, we see that Noah is an example of someone who's doing just what we mentioned at the start. His faith is not an empty system of beliefs, but an actual fear of the Lord, which causes him to respond to God's call in a concrete and frankly, radical way. It's wild, but he does it. He hasn't seen the things that the Lord is promising, has he? The food, uh, uh, sorry, the flood and, and the animals and all that stuff, he hasn't seen that yet, but he begins to build. He didn't have a boat in the driveway, so he starts building one because God tells him to. He has enough faith in God to trust that these things will come to pass. And people say that it took between 50 and 75 years to build the ark, which to us is like, oh my goodness, that's a long time. But Noah was also about 600 years old when this started. So, you know, in the grand scheme of his life, it wasn't forever. But almost half a century it took him to obey the Lord and continue to trust in what God called him to do with, um, you know, hardly any water, basically in a desert. It's a lot of work. All in all, it was a leap of faith to obey God. So now when the Hebrews author says in the second part that Noah condemned the world, this may sound a little bit strange. What does this mean? Well, all that this means is that rather than look around him and see what he could see and put his faith in, what he could feel and touch, you know, reality so to speak, he didn't put his faith in that. Noah put his faith in God instead. It's like when we say, um, take the world, but give me Jesus, right? Noah's life was not tied up with the world and its corrupt reality. He was righteous. He was separated. And so he surrendered his plan to God's plan instead. I want to read our verse again. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he was he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So Noah's 
faith in God caused him to build something. So the question for us this morning is, what are you building? What are you called to build? You're probably not called to build an ark. There's a couple people on the States who felt called to build arcs and charge people admission to walk through them. But um, except for those guys, maybe that's you. I don't know. But uh, I, last time I checked, I don't think anyone here is called to build an ark. But the truth is that God is calling us to build something by faith. God is calling you to build something by faith. So what we build by faith depends entirely on our situation, what God is calling us to, just like Noah's Ark depended on a certain situation. So as we think about this, I want to offer two scenarios or two paths that we might find ourselves on to explore this idea of building by faith in our own lives, okay? The first scenario, the first scenario is one where you are already building something in your life, and so God's call is for you to build that thing by faith. I think this applies to all of us. Um, take what you are building and surrender it to the Lord. As Colossians 3 tells us, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here's an example. We can imagine a person who's working to build a career of some kind, Maybe they're at the start, the middle, or the end. It doesn't matter. They could be young or old. But these people, this person has goals and ambitions on a specific career path. And that's good because God has given you those passions to work hard and to do good. But in what ways would your career change if your career was built by faith? Because there are a lot of people out there building businesses and, and portfolios and bank accounts but as a person with a uniquely Christian identity, how can you build your career, not through simply human ambition, but by faith, to build by faith? How might you continue to build your career with God at the center? And another example that's pretty common would be someone who's building a family. We have some parents listening this morning at various stages along that journey. So think of your family as an ongoing project which requires you to build into it on a daily basis. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it requires you to build into it on a daily basis. You build into the lives of your kids. You build into the culture of your home and so on and so forth. So how is God calling you to build your family by faith? Another way of looking at it is, how is your family different from your neighbors who do not have a faith in Jesus? What sets you apart? Or what struggles might you be able to identify and bring to the Lord for him to, to sanctify and, and, and use for his purposes instead of simply your own frustrations or outcomes? How can we build a family by faith? So these are two really broad examples that I'm just hoping will get us thinking more specifically of one scenario of building by faith in your life. And so this is the scenario of the path that you're already on. How can you build that by faith? Now the second scenario is one where we have the call to build something that is entirely new, right? 
something entirely new. This is similar to when God called Noah to build a boat, starting a project from scratch because God is, is leading us to do it. Some of us are called by the Lord to start something from the ground up that will be a project of faith. So maybe you have a gifting in, in your life that is waiting to be used or a dream that seems really big and would only happen if, uh, if God was on your side. Well, I have news for you. In faith, we believe what we actually just sang earlier in this last song, which is from Romans 8, that if God is for us, who can stop us? For we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among, men, among many brothers and sisters. Now those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about all these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but give him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? These verses, just a quick disclaimer, these verses do not tell us that we can do whatever we want because God will make it happen, but rather that we can do whatever God wants because he will make it happen, okay? There's a difference. And that's because God is working his good plan, and in Jesus, we're invited to be a part of it. And so we say with confidence, if God is for us, who can be against us? So some examples of what this may look like of building something new. Maybe there's a ministry that you'd love to see. Perhaps you've identified an area in the church where you see a need or, or you've seen it in another church or ministry and you'd love to see that happen in our city. This could very well be the call in your heart as you pray about it to build into this area of faith in the body of Christ. Or more realistically, perhaps you find yourself criticizing the church for its shortcomings. We all do this from time to time. What if you flipped that criticism around and used it as an opportunity to build into that area of faith instead of standing on the sidelines and criticizing? Build that by faith. Or maybe you feel led to step out and build a relationship by faith. I'm not talking about romantic relationships, although if you want to, that's between you and God and <laughs> someone else. But um, no, like, you know, loving your neighbor, um, um, getting to know someone and sharing Jesus' love with them or someone you already know and, and intentionally showing them who Jesus is. Share the gospel. I don't know. And of course, there's all these practical things, just the parts of life that can, this can take shape into a new job a new move, a big decision. I don't know what it is for you, uh, but maybe the Spirit is stirring something in you to build by faith. Building something new with God as the foundation. So I want us to be encouraged by this as we take hold. Because we look at Noah and we see the fear of the Lord that he had and the unknown that he faced. Well, when we fear the Lord... And when we choose to build by faith, these unknowns, these challenges, actually become opportunities 
to see God at work in tremendous ways. That's what happened when Noah put his faith in God. They became opportunities. So this is exciting for us. This is really exciting. Not only is it exciting, but it's also incredibly important. Because just as God saw Noah in that time of corruption as a righteous man and saved him, Christians today are also called similarly to be set apart, to be holy, to be righteous in our own corrupt time. Jesus tells us this in Luke 17, as well as other places. But in Luke 17, he says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. You see, people went on eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage until the day that Noah boarded the ark. And then the flood came and destroyed them all. It will be like that on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. So this is the part that maybe many of us don't like to hear. Um, it's, it seems much simpler to carry on and enjoy life while we can without you know, considering the fact that Jesus has promised to return This is what people were doing in the times of Noah, and it's the same thing that people are doing today. However, the people of God are called to be set apart and have a different set of priorities. We are not marked or called by selfish ambition or the pursuit of pleasure or self-preservation, but rather we are to be marked by faith in God. So we live not, not for the, the temporary life, but for the eternal one. God is the one we worship, and no one else. We believe that God is the judge over all people. And so like Noah, we live with this reverence, this fear of the Lord. We take him seriously to the degree that by comparison, we also condemn the world, right? Take the world, but give me Jesus. And while we have this in mind, we know that God is the true judge of the living and dead, and we fear him. We also understand that his justice is paired with grace. His justice is paired with grace. Even in the, the flood of Noah, God provided a way out, a way to save humanity by his grace, and, and this is the best part. 2 Peter 2, 5 and 9 says, If he didn't spare the ancient world but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness and seven others, when he brought the flood on the world of the ungodly, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for that day of judgment. God ordained a rescue boat, and Noah had to build it. And so for us, we have confidence. How, how much more confidence do we have in God that he will save us today as well? Which again, I'll turn to Peter as he uh, explained in more detail in 1 Peter 3. It says, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which we also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison who, were in, the last, uh, who in the past were disobedient, when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. God was patient in that period of time while Noah built the ark. In it, a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. Here's the cool part, verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not with the removal of dirt from the body, 
with the pledge of a good conscience through God, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. Now, this is where it gets really cool, as it does with each of these um, hosts of uh, witnesses. We begin to see how it overlaps with uh, Jesus. Peter started to do this for us. He says, well, you know, Noah saved eight people on the ark. Well, with Jesus, we have baptism through the waters. How many people have been saved in that way? Millions, right? Noah was a righteous person, but like all of us, he was still just a person. He was not perfect. And again, if you read Genesis, you'll see that. But this story is meant to point our eyes through Noah to the perfect person and work of, of Jesus. This is, what, this is why they're witnesses, the great cloud of witnesses. They all point us to Jesus. So I just want to ask really quickly, well, how does Noah foreshadow Jesus? How do we see uh, the perfect person of Jesus through this man named Noah? Well, in the days of Noah, God judged sin by sending a flood which restored creation temporarily. In the days of Jesus, God forgives sin by sending his son, restoring creation eternally. So there's sin. God sends something to solve the problem. With Noah, it was a flood. With Jesus, it's salvation. We read that Noah's righteousness resulted in the rescue of his family on the boat, which was good. But in Jesus' righteousness, the result is the rescue of God's children from hell. So much better. Okay? So while we build by faith in our own lives, our hope rests not in the things that we build, not in the, in the tasks that God has given us. That's not what we place our faith in, uh, but rather in the goodness of God who has called us, who is faithful, who saved us. And as we see Jesus as the better and perfect version of Noah today, we call on the name of Jesus to be saved. Um, Ian Duguid says that if you are a Christian today, then the cross has paid for all your sins, past, present, and future. Now you are God's friend. Hallelujah. Uh, you've been reconciled to God, so you can feel confident that when he brings you the rope, he will also pull you in. So what counts is not the strength of your faith, let alone the strength of your faithfulness. Your security lies in the fact that Jesus has been faithful for you. His strength as the one in whom our faith rests is our sure and certain hope. So let us come to the Lord with hope this morning. Let us start and or continue to build the things that he's calling us to build by faith to build for a purpose that extends beyond our own means. Because we can trust that God will actually take what we build, however big or small, and use them to build 
something much bigger and eternal, which is his kingdom. So let us choose today, then, to build with faith, to present our lives as an offering to him, which Romans 12 says, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect, the will of God. So as we conclude, I know I've asked a lot of questions in this message and not given you any answers <laughs> uh, because that's kind of what I wanted to do. Um, to have us think, I've been thinking as well and praying about these questions of building by faith, what that looks like, what we are called to build that we've already started, maybe a new thing that God is calling us to start. And I just want to point out our prayer team, which we have every Sunday at the gate. Um, so any Sunday, including this one, as we um, take communion and then carry on with the service. If you want prayer about these things, uh, Henry's here, he'll be by the back, and he would love to pray with you. Furthermore, if you'd like to chat about this stuff, I, would, I love this stuff, and I would love to talk with you about what God's stirring in your heart. So let me know, and we'll have coffee, and um, I would love to do that, okay? Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for Noah. God, I'm amazed at the faith of this righteous man, how you used him to save creation from your judgment at the time of the flood. I see your grace even in that story, Lord, and we thank you for it. Even more, I thank you that you have sent a Savior for humanity in the person of Jesus. Lord Jesus has accomplished what no human could do. So each of us, as flawed as we are, we put our faith in his name to save us. Lord, as we're gathered here today, I thank you that your spirit is speaking personally to our situations to show us how to build with faith. God, would you give us visions of what it will look like to build something that is not based on worldly measures, of successes or failures, but based on our reverence to you, an act of worship to you. God, as, as we do this, I know that you will bless our church and our work together so that our lives will just sing a song of praise. So God, we worship you for giving your son that Jesus did live the righteous life on our behalf, that he died to save all who call on his name, Again, Lord, we, we call on the name of Jesus this morning. It's in his name that we pray. In the presence of your spirit, we say thank you. Amen. Mm -hmm.